chapter number 22. Sorry, I was looking at another song. We're going to read verse number 1 down through verse number 6 and uh, give you... I'm only going to give you part of the message um, that the Lord laid on my heart. I, I feel like I've, I've got liberty to be able to preach part of it this morning and part of it tonight. And uh, if you find out that I have ten points, you'll say amen. So, Genesis chapter number 22. If you found your place, say amen real loud for me. Amen. God been good to you this week. Say amen. amen. <clears throat> I preach on this thought, laying your Isaac down. Verse number 1, we see the Scripture says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Let's pray. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace. Now, God, we ask you, if you would, just to hide us behind the cross of Calvary today. Lord, if you would, I pray that you would take, Lord, the thoughts that I have of myself, I pray that you'd remove those from me today. Lord, I ask you, Lord, that you would bind every spirit that's contrary to yours today. Father, we pray that you would lift us above, Lord, the, the, the plane of man. I pray that you'd let us sit with you in heavenly places. God, we ask you today that you would allow us, Lord, to put aside the cares of this world. Lord, let us uh, look within ourselves and find that Isaac that we must lay down God, I pray that through the Word of God we might find a way that we can lay it down willingly, that we can lay it down hopefully and faithfully and give it to you today. We praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I preach on this thought, laying your Isaac down. And um, I said I was going to read verse 1 through 6, and I stopped at verse 5. Uh, but we'll read verse 6 here in just a little while. Uh, but laying down ourselves can be probably one of the most difficult things to do. Uh, you, Everybody here has heard that we need to lay down our burdens, cast off our cares, and all of those things. And you've probably heard the illustration uh, that you lay it down, but then it's like a fishing pole. You reel it back in. You start carrying it yourself. So with that thought in mind, I say that laying ourselves down can be one of the most difficult things to do. Uh, after all, we are our own, right? We're our own men. We're our own women, right? Wrong. Wrong. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? 
It's easy for us to entertain that thought. This is my life. I'll do with it what I want. But it is not ours. If we say that we're saved, we are not living our lives. I need somebody to help me here this morning. Now, and we, we think, well, we, we worked hard to get where we are. I've I've worked my fingers to the bone. I've worked with blood, sweat, and tears. And so I'm where I'm at by my own. But James chapter 1 verse 17 said that every good and every perfect gift is from above. 1 Corinthians 15 10 says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Honey, if you can get a hold of that verse there in 1 Corinthians 15.10 and realize that outside of the grace of God, wonder, reckon, how in the world, where would we be? Come on right there. Hey, without the grace of God, can you imagine where you may be? I told you, I believe it was last Sunday, if it weren't for the grace of God at 12 years old when I accepted Christ as my Savior, I'd be probably in hell. If not, I'd be in jail. I'd be a reprobate. I know I would. I said I know I would without the grace of God. But for the grace of God, I am what I am. And so... (coughs) We lay down ourselves, or laying down ourselves is instructed in the Word of God. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number 16, verse number 24, Then Jesus said unto His disciples, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Now Luke said it just a little bit differently in chapter 9, verse 23. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. The, the reason why we struggle with laying ourselves down is because we're trying to hold on to ourselves and we're trying to hold on to supposedly to what God has given us. And you can't hardly hold on to two crosses. Somebody say amen right there. But honey, if you just lay down yourself and pick up the cross that Christ has given to us daily, Luke said, and follow Him, then it'd be a whole lot easier come tomorrow to lay down something else that feels our hands while we're holding to the cross. So, laying down our burdens, laying down ourselves has been instructed in Scripture. In Romans chapter number 8, verse number 13, and I'm just in the introduction, by the way, in case you are wondering. Uh, Romans 8, 13, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, that's that capital Spirit, that is the Holy Ghost, that is the Spirit of God, He said, through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You know what that means, Bubba? That means the deeds of our flesh, our very lives. I'm not talking about this physical physical flesh now. I'm talking about the flesh and the spiritual side of it. I'm talking about those desires, those wants, that, that place where we can sin. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, we, we, it doesn't mean, Bubba, that we ought to go take our, a knife to our, to our wrist and slit our wrist and bleed out. It's not to say we're to take some weapon and, and kill ourselves. That's not what it's saying. But it says that our flesh ought to be killed, ought to be mortified why? So that we can live. If we do through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. So if you're, if you're just quote unquote living 
the life, you're, you're living a life and you're barely putting one foot in the front of the other and you're barely able to breathe and you have to remind yourself, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. Just mortify the deeds of your flesh and live in Christ Jesus. What does He give? He gives us peace. He gives us comfort. He gives us direction. He, hey, He gives us knowledge. He gives us everything that we need. He is the bread of life. So there's our sustenance. He is the light of the world. So there, Brother David's mentioned it multiple times in Sunday school, a lamp on our feet, a light on our path. We have in Jesus Christ. He is the hammer and the nail of the door. So He's our going and He's our coming. He is everything that we need, but instead we try to do it ourselves. And we're not living the life that God wants us to live. Colossians 3, verse number 5. I'm getting to my point. Colossians 3, verse number 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Again, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. How do we do this? We get up every morning and we say, God, here's my hands, here's my feet, here's my ears, my eyes. My mouth, here's my mind, here's my body. Father, I pray that you'll not allow me to get into something that's gonna wreck my life or my family. I want you to take my, I want you to take me and lead me where you want me to go. And I'll tell you this, the scripture said it there in Matthew, how that straight is the gate and narrow is the way. You won't be finding yourself walking on, on the path that God's put, uh, to the left and to the right and up and down and in and out. No, honey. How you'll be straight. How you'll be on the narrow path. And it's time, if we truly want to lay our eyes at down, how to mortify ourselves. Mortify the deeds of your flesh. Mortify the members of your body, Colossians said. But how do we follow God's leading when we can't see the end? I told my, my girls and my wife the other day, I, I, I said, uh, I sent him a message. I said, we're going to go somewhere on Friday afternoon. Where are we going? I ain't going to tell you. What are we going to do? I ain't going to tell you. Well, how long are we going to be there? I ain't going to tell you. I mean, just question after after that. And and then Lori started saying, hey, where are we going? What are we doing? And I said, ask your children. Because they didn't know either. Well, then they all got home and got me hemmed up in the kitchen. And they said, where are we going? What are we going to do when we get there? And this old fat boy crumbled. And I said, well, here's what we're going to do. They wanted to know the direction. They wanted to know the plan. But honey, I've been in this thing for 30 years. Maybe some of y'all have been in it longer. God rarely has given me the, the end result. He's rarely given me position B. He says, here's A, you're going to B, I'll let you know when you get there. And so, how do we follow God when we don't know where we're going? How do we follow God when we don't know how things are going to work out? When we're not sure what even we're supposed to do? Well, Abraham sets a precedent in laying down the things that we Today holds so dear. 
Abraham had a promised son. I don't think I wrote it down. I did not. Um, at least three times, I believe it was, Abraham... Well, let me back up. Probably at least five times Abraham was promised an heir, a seed, a son, or a nation that would come out of his loins. And so, uh, so we have a promise, Brother Jody. Uh, but then that first promise, uh, uh, Samuel, was when he was 75 years old. He said, you're in Hebron. I want you to get out of Hebron. I want you to take your family. Get on up out of here. He said, leave everything behind. He is 75 years old, Benji. When he was 99 years old, God said, now, now he'd already had a, a, a son, but it wasn't with Sarah. And he wanted a son with Sarah, okay? And he kept begging for a son from Sarah. That's who he wanted. And at least three different times he asked God, you promised me a nation, but where's my son? Where's my heir? Where's my child? I want to hold him. I want to see him. Ninety-nine years old. God said, hey, uh, Mr. Abraham, sir, uh, by the way, uh, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. Look here. I'm 43. If an angel said at 44, you're going to have a son. Y'all may as well look for somebody else. Because I'm going to fall out right there with me and God. We're going to have Fruner all by ourselves. He was 99 years old. And then all of a sudden, 100 years old, here comes Isaac. We don't really know what period of time passed from his birth to chapter 22. We assume it's somewhere between 12, 16, 18 years. But we know that he was old enough to bear a burden because the wood was placed on Isaac's back. He was old enough to go to worship with his daddy. So let's just assume, let's say he's 16 years old. Maybe wrong, maybe right, don't know. Let's just assume that he is. And so he's finally at a hundred years old. He's finally gotten the son that he's prayed for for, listen, 25 years. How long do we pray for stuff? He prayed for 25 years. And God finally gave him what he'd been praying for. Sometimes we pray for a minute and we say, okay, I got a clear answer from God. No, honey. Liable to be your answer that you wanted all along. I digress, church. For 25 years, he'd asked God for a son. And so, he's born when he's 100. So let's just make the assumption that he's now 16. You can put in your number, whatever you want it to be. And now all of a sudden, God said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac. Your only son, Isaac. Isaac, the one that thou, that you love. And I want you to take him and offer him as a burnt offering. Y'all realize what happens when you offer a burnt offering. That thing must die. You, you, you feel me? And so as we listen and we see these things happening, 
in Abraham's life with this promised child, we have to glean some things that's going to help us in this day and this hour that we're living that will allow us to lay our own Isaac down. I want us to notice number one this morning, and we're going to go verse by verse. I want us to look at verse number 1 and verse number 2 again. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now, just unless you're getting a little confused with this tempt in verse number 1, I want you to know that God will not tempt you to do evil, okay? He will not tempt you to sin. God will not. I've got Scripture to back it up if you want to hear it. God will not. The word tempt, especially in the New Testament, most most of the time, that word tempt is uh, solicitation or trying to do evil. There, there, if I tempt you with a chocolate donut, then I look, I'm fat food. That's what comes to my mind. So, Jody, if I, I need I need some of my fat, but I'm scared to look around. I, I don't want to point any fingers, so I'll just go to the short person. But, Jody, if I tempted you with a chocolate donut, and you were on a maybe a cardiac diet, and you weren't supposed to have any sugar, you weren't supposed to have any carbs, you weren't supposed to do anything, because the, lightest, the slightest elevation in your blood sugar or carbohydrates... I've been looking for them things in food for a long time. I ain't not seen a single carb. I don't know where they are, but they say they're in there. But Brother Jody, if I did, I would be tempting you to do wrong, okay? It's not wrong by the Bible. It's not wrong by moral standards. But your doctor, the man that's over your health, said, don't don't you eat that chocolate, don't Am I telling you right? That's the solicitation to do evil. That's tempting him. This word is the word that we may say he's testing him. He is trying his faith. Matter of fact, you read about this in Hebrews chapter number 11, and it talks about the trying of Abraham's faith. So instead, Brother Jody, I'm not trying to get you to do evil, but I'm trying to make sure, hey, I've got this donut here. I know you're not supposed to have it, but how strong are you to refuse it? Even if you reached for it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let you have it. But I'm seeing how strong you are in your instruction. So verse number one says that God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, Abraham answered. He said, here I am. So we go to verse number two. It says, and he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Not I have, not I will, I will tell you of. So I want us to look first of all at the hearing. Abraham heard his name as God called. Now, I have in recent years, uh, I've, I've laughed at and with Lori sometimes about this, and uh, I, I, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, she's not the only one that deals with it. I now deal with it. Other people deal with it. And at night, when, when the lights are off, your mind will not shut off. Anybody ever have that? I mean, you just like, your mind is firing all the time. 
And uh, I jokingly say, you know, I do a bunch of little voices here and there, and I'm like, there's so many voices, I've got to find the right one to be able to answer somebody. And sometimes those are sarcastic voices, Miss Leah, and, and I've got to make sure to put him in the room and lock the door and try to give you a good answer. I mean, he just pop out in a minute. But those voices at night, and I don't want you to think that we're all crazy that said, yeah, I deal with that too. I'm not talking about schizophrenia. I'm talking about it's like our thoughts are so loud and they're yelling at us. You've got to do this. Do it this way. You did this wrong. What did you say? All those voices are, are going on. And sometimes we can't hear it when God talks. Sometimes we take our problem to everybody in the world. And we want to hear what everybody in the world has to say about it. But all of those voices are so loud you can't hear God. So if God's told you to go lay your Isaac down, you've got to be able to hear Him when He speaks. So Abraham heard God call His name. But not only did he hear God, Abraham, he said, yeah, here I am, God. It happened this morning, Kurt, I told you, I admit it. You're up there teaching, you're up here teaching Sunday school and you're talking about that covering and you're talking about how it's the Holy Ghost and that just stirred me. If y'all missed Sunday school, y'all missed a blessing, I'm telling you. That there wasn't but five of us in here, so I'm talking to the rest of y'all, okay? Brother Kurt, I mean, that stirred me, it really did, but it got me so thinking about something else that you was talking about the corn, and I feel like now I missed the blessing because there's probably something there, and I missed it. I was listening to him. I wasn't really hearing him. Maybe I've got that wrong. Maybe I heard him, but I wasn't truly listening. Maybe that's the right way to say it. Sometimes we hear someone call our name, but we don't truly listen to what they're saying. Again, Every man is probably guilty of this. My wife will be talking. She'll be giving me instructions about something. And then five minutes later, I'm like, now what do you want me to do with this? And I don't... I ain't even going to look over there, woman. But I get that look. And Kurt, you're fitting to learn that look because there's a raw huff, Troutman look that... Whoa, it's rough. It says volume. But Brother Jody... She'll, she'll begin, I already told you that. When did you, five minutes ago, she'll say, I'm like, I ain't hear you. <laughs> Come on up, buddy, you're okay. I didn't hear you. She was talking, and I heard her talking, but I thought she was going to the microwave. thought she was talking, to, I don't know, somebody beside me. And I tell her all the time, man, here it is, I'm going to tell you. You men that are not married, y'all try it too. Woman, you got to say it just like that. If you want me to understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, say my name, get my attention, get in my face, and tell me, boil water for tea. Otherwise, ain't going to be no tea made because I ain't going to hear you. How does this apply to Abraham? I'm trying to figure that out. No, Abraham heard God call his name. But then verse 3 tells us that he heard what God said in verse number 2. Verse number 2 is where he gave him 
his demand. Verse number 2 is where he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and I want you to take up to one of the mountains on Moriah. He said, and there I want you to offer your son as a burnt offering. So, number one, we see Abraham's hearing. There was no interruptions. There was no self-will. But I have to ask you, are you quiet long enough to hear God when He speaks? And are you still long enough to hear Him not just call your name, but to tell you His will in your life? I ask the question, can you tell a difference between God's voice and Satan's voice? Now, preacher, you're, you're talking to us at church, aren't we all saved? Maybe. I'm going to let that kind of linger for a minute. Sometimes people say they're saved because of something that happened way back yonder, but they ain't truly saved. Living like hell and still claiming God's promises. No, honey, that ain't going to work. And they're listening to Satan because he's got the right tone in his voice. Sounds like God, but it's not God. Sounds like the truth, but it's not the truth. Sounds like the right way, but it's not the right way. Can you tell a difference between God's voice and Satan's? Can you tell a difference between your own voice and God's? I can mimic a lot of people. But I know, Brother Jody, when God speaks, and I, I've, messed, I've messed up, Brother Jody. I did some things because I thought, I, and I blamed it on God. But it wasn't God's fault to point me in the right direction. It was mine. Because I, I heard my voice. And my voice was, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. So I have an opportunity. So I'm going to get, I'm going to get, I'm going to get. When God's telling me something entirely different. But I did not want to hear it. Can you tell the difference between God's voice and Satan's? Between God's voice and yours. Abraham heard God. Number two, there was a rising. There was a rising. I want you to look at this with me. We've read verse number two. Now, look at verse number three. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. There was an urgency in Abraham the next morning. Now, rightly so, it does not say that immediately he got up and he went to work. No, it says in the morning. I believe that they, that he rose in the morning, number one, because there was an urgency that we see. He rose up early in the morning. He had clearly heard God speak, but then he rested in God's plan and rose early. He, I believe he rested in God's plan, not W-R-E-S-T-E-D. But he rested, R-E-S-T-E-D. He he didn't wrestle with God's plan. Oh my goodness, God's told me to do this. What am I going to do? This is my only son. I love him. I prayed for 25 years. I've lived with him now for 16 years. And now God wants me to kill him and burn him as an offering. What am I going to... No, I believe that he, in faith, rested in the fact that it was God. It was God that spoke to him that day and told him 
This is what I want you to do. Now, if it had been anybody else, if you would come to me and you say, this is God's will for you, for you, I, I would struggle with it. I would question, how do you know? If, if God was going to tell anybody, shouldn't he tell me? Well, God did tell Abraham. Miss Leah, he heard Abraham. Or he heard, Abraham heard God. And he rose up early the next morning. So, number two, we see a rising here. I mentioned this urgency. But then I believe that he rested in God's plan. And I ask you, have you heard God calling? Has God said, Abraham, to you? If he has, then I want you to know it's time to, well, it's time to rest in God's Word. It's time to rest in, in God's Word. But it's also time to rise up. It's time to rise up even if you don't know where you're going, as we mentioned before. It's time to rise up even if God's demand was devastating to hear. We don't like loss. We don't like change. We don't like not getting what we want. We don't like getting what we don't want. But if God has ordained it, then it is time to rise up and go. So there's a rising. Number three. This may be where we end today. There's a rising. There's a hearing. But number three, there's a working. I need to be very clear in what I'm saying right here. You are not saved by your works. Okay? Nothing you do outside of trusting in Christ, repenting of your sin, nothing that you do is going to get you to heaven. Okay? We need to say amen on that. But, Because you are saved, you work. You do things for God. You follow Him. He tells you to go feed this family, you go do it. He tells you to do this, you do it. Okay, you understand what I'm saying. So, number three, there was a working. And I want you to notice this in verse number three. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. But notice this. He saddled his ass. He took two young men with him. And he got Isaac out of bed. He chopped the wood for the burnt offering. You see him getting up again and going. So before the journey could ever begin, he had to set some things in order. And it may be this morning before you lay your Isaac down, you've heard what God wants, you're up, you're ready, you're ready. But before you can take that first step on the journey, there's some preparation that you've got to make. There's some wood you gotta chop. There's some people that you gotta alert. He said, I got my, I got my two boys, got them up out of bed, let them know, hey, we're fixing to go on a journey. I done put the saddle on the horse or on the donkey. He said, it's ready to go. He said, I got my boy up out of bed, got him, got him, got him some food, he's ready. Then he says he rose up. Now in verse number one, or verse number three, The very first line says that Abraham rose up. Now, at the very end of this same verse, he says he rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. 
There was a work before his journey. He had to set some things in order. He rose up from his work. He could have got down there and he could have busied himself with the things that were pleasing to God. Hey, I'm getting this ready for God. I'm getting this ready. I heard the Word of God. He says I need to go on a journey. And I need, but he didn't tell me when. I've said this before. I'm trying not to be funny when I say this, but I remember watching something on television and the daddy called for his child and his child got a little bit closer and his daddy was over there. He said, I told you to come here. Come here. And when God tells us to come, He doesn't just want us to... Yeah. He wants us to come here. When He tells us to do something, He doesn't say, in a minute, I'm doing something. In a minute, I'm busy. In a minute, I really don't want to go, so I'm going to hang tight. I'm going to do what I want. No. When God tells us to do something, immediately we ought to do it. Somebody said this the other day, reminded me, I've been saying this for years. Um, you remember um, Saul was told, I don't remember, um, I don't remember the king, but he was told to go and destroy a king. All the people don't bring nothing back. And all of a sudden, there was a bleeding of sheep and and he heard a rust, the, the preacher heard a rustling of people. He said, what's going on? And he said, well, I saved the king to show the people of our victory, and I saved this, and I'm going to offer it to God. And uh, essentially, Samuel, he said this, that delayed obedience is still disobedient. God's told you to do something. You're, you're holding back. You're not doing it. Guess what? You're in absolute disobedience. And God says to go, you need to go. If he says to stop, you stop. If he says wait, wait. We try to figure it out on our own. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, what am I supposed to do now? I said, what's the last thing God told you to do? You keep doing that until God tells you to do something different. You stand strong. You keep putting one foot in front of it. You keep doing it. Don't insert your own self-will because you will mess things up. So, that was a hearing. Excuse me. That was a rising. Now here's this working. And I want you to know that there's some work that you may have to put in before you lay your your Isaac down, and I'll ask you these questions. Are you prepared to work? Are you pre- I mean, he, this was Abraham. He's a hundred years old chopping wood. Don't lose sight of that. He was a hundred years old chopping wood. He was a hundred years old. He was saddling his own donkey. He was getting everybody up. Hundred years old, you ought to be letting everybody else do the work. Said the fifty year old. But Abraham is working. So I ask you today, are you prepared to put in some work? God's told you to lay your Isaac down. Are you ready to work to do what he wants to do? Are you prepared to clean house? I heard preachers say the other, well, not, it's been years since, since I've heard him say this, and he was just joking around. 
But you remember back in the day, I'm talking about in the in the 80s and 90s, preachers, they were preaching on, if, if you had wire-rimmed glasses, you were out of the will of God. I mean, they preached on some silly stuff. I mean, you shouldn't wear, uh, in the pulpit, you shouldn't wear short-sleeved dress shirts. and I mean, just crazy. I mean, men are crazy. Y'all, y'all can say men are but I know I am. But they, they would preach on the television, too. And we ought to get back to preaching on television. Say amen right there. Amen, preacher. Good. <clears throat> but they preach on television. And, and I know some of y'all, Samuel, you probably don't know. You ain't 12 and a half. You probably don't know. Goose, I know you don't know. But back, back yonder, they had, the, they had the knob that you turned. You had a, a UHF and a VHF knob. Then, and and it, it, you could fine-tune it. And then there was another one up here. You went channel 3, channel 4, channel 5. And you only got about one or two good channels. And then, bless your heart, if you ever had the, the antenna on the outside. We had one, and it was rusted in the ground, so we had a pair of channel locks. Yeah, and you'd turn it, and you'd hear somebody say, That's an old. And you'd turn it too far because you couldn't hear them because it's so rusty, it was squeaking. And then everybody's beating on the window and hollering, Turn it back! And finally, you turn it back, and they could, they could watch their show or Jeopardy or something like that. But... You, you have that old television, and they would preach on the television. And because it had knobs, the preacher made the funny statement. He said, he said, I preached on television so bad, I went and took, threw my microwave out because it had a knob on it. It's silly. They're preaching about things. They're preaching about getting stuff out of the house. He mentioned this morning, godliness, holiness. Why do we preach things like this? It's not good for me. It don't feel good for me to get up here and preach about things like this. But what it does is it helps us as a people to get things out of our lives, to remove the things in our lives that should not be there, when we moved from Tennessee down here, we we had a, a double wide trailer, and lived there. Help me, baby. How long have we lived there? A um, long time. Sixteen years. Sixteen years. You can accumulate a lot of stuff in sixteen years. In a four bedroom house, and not really know where it's at until you start moving out. And we had boxes upon boxes upon boxes, and we finally came to the. What's in that box? I have no idea. Throw it out. We don't need it. If we ain't saw it in 16 years, we don't need it. Except for Lori's stuff. She likes to play ball. She's got trophies and stuff like that. She'll show them to you if you want her to. I don't have a nary trophy for nothing. So I didn't have to fight that battle. I just threw it out. Them breeches don't fit no more. Probably won't never no more. Let's get them out of there. But are, you, are you ready to clean house? Are you ready to get the stuff that don't belong? Well, I might use that. No, if you've not used it in the last two years, get rid of it. That thing doesn't belong in your life. Get rid of it. I'm holding on to it just in case this thing don't work. Get rid of it. Are you ready to clean house? Are you ready this morning to say goodbye? It might be time for somebody to just say goodbye. 
And I know there's somebody in here that's going to say, oh, there's my permission. Well, God have mercy on your soul if that's what you think. That's somebody that you might need to say goodbye to is yourself. That's somebody that you need to say goodbye to is somebody that's putting you through hell. They are, they are intoxicating to you. They are toxic to you. There is no good that's coming from them and they need out of your life. Bye. Good preaching, preacher. Are you prepared to pack up and keep good company? Been around toxic folks? Say goodbye. Find you somebody that's going to lift up God in you. Find you somebody that's going to that's going to come up and and bear up beside you and lift the burden that you've been under. If God's told you to lay the Isaac down, there's some work to do. Most of that work's going to be mental and emotional, trying to prepare yourself to lay down this thing that you've held dear now for 16 years. Lay it down. But when the work is through, Abraham, in verse number 3, he rose up again. He straightened up. He set out on a journey. Look at this last part. We'll come with some of invitation. Uh, Miss Lori, if you can come and play for him. He set out on this journey by faith, and he went unto the place which he found on a map. No. He went to a place that he heard about through the grapevine. No. He went to a place that God had told him of. He walked by faith. If you're going to have a successful walk, you're going to have to walk by faith. And that's going to scare you. That's going to scare the fool out of you. But I promise you, if you'll put in the work before you physically lay that, that Isaac down, I guarantee Listen to the rest of this. And, and I, I'm going to, Lord willing, I'm going to preach on this tonight so you all come back tonight. There is a remembrance. There is a recognition. A resolve a representation, a response, a preparation, an obedience, and an observance. I'm going to have to preach fast tonight. There's more to laying down your Isaac than just a couple things. I want you to know it's rewarding. See, it was pretty, it's pretty grim there in verse number, verse number 1, verse number 2. Lay down your son, your only son, Isaac, the one that thou lovest. Kill him. That's what God said. But I want you to know that there is a verse 13. There is a verse 14. What do you mean? There is a ram. I want you to know something. Even if that ram wasn't up there, there is a Jehovah Jireh. It may feel like it's pulling every heartstring out of your body to lay that Isaac down. You don't know how you're going to do it, but you're trying to do it because that's what God said. I, mm, I about ran right then, Brother Lee. Show enough about ran. Because I want you to know when we lay our Isaac down, it's Jehovah Jireh. I was going to tell you all this tonight, but do you realize there in verse number 1 and verse number 2, it was God, G-O-D, 
Elohim. What have I been telling y'all Elohim means? The one that must be worshipped. The one that must be worshipped is the one that said, I demand worship. You lay your only son down and worship me. But I, mm, I want you to know that it's a brand new name over in verse number 14. And it's not the one that must be worshipped. But it is the all-sufficient Jehovah that will provide. What, what do I mean by that? <laughs> the one that said, I demand to be worshipped, is also the said, I will make a way for worship. And I'll provide. I might ask one thing of you, but I promise I'll give you something even better. Yeah, that's good. I don't care who you are. Let's stand.